When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. We're uh, doing part three here of our football and random things, spring football. I don't know. I wouldn't say obviously not a preview because spring football is basically over at this point, but uh, exit interviews for spring football, I guess, would be a good way of putting it. Did episodes one and two with Jeff Woody, uh, and now we got to bring in the man, the myth, the legend. It's Jay Jordan. What's up, my man? Hey, Jared. I'm glad that I've become an involuntary uh, footnote or subset of the fart. So that's a, a privileged position. I'm glad you've, you've patched me in with that. I'm sure Jeff is thrilled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he was fired up uh, when I told him that you were going to come on. So he wished he could do, uh, could do this with us, but he, he can't work too much in the evening. So kind of a tough timing deal. But, uh, of course, our spring football coverage presented by A-plus Lawn and Landscape. Um, and give them a call or uh, check them out online for any of your lawn and landscaping needs. Uh, proud sponsors of us here at Cyclone Fanatic. Um, man, so me and Jeff really dove deep into the offense and the defense. Uh, we sat down to do 20, 30-minute long podcasts and did like hour long for each one. So uh, that gives you an idea of where, where we're at at this point, Jay. Uh, I figured you and me can take a little bit more of an overarching kind of uh, – look at things and um because i just think did he pick up on any of the stuff we were talking about last night no no not too much that's what i'm saying we went very deep into like the minutia of things like the very minute details and i'm sure you and me are going to get into the minute details because i told him this it's impossible for us to have a conversation about iowa state football (laughs) and say we're going to have an overarching one and not end up in some really weird minute detail but that's what makes it kind of fun right Um, what to us what's the you know overarching is it is the minute things so uh i just think this is a fun team right now to talk about because there's so many things that we just don't know about them you know and there's so many guys that we haven't seen that play that much football and when there those things exist together it feels like uh it feels like you have an opportunity to have a lot of fun. Like it kind of feels like Iowa state basketball did this year where it's like, man, we have, we don't even know what the expectations should be because we just, we don't know enough about some of these guys. Does that, does that make sense? Do you get where I'm coming from on that? Absolutely. That's actually the the kind of perfect prelude of kind of what we were, we were thinking about talking about, but it's kind of like uh, we got a, got a big win over Oregon state earlier in the year thought that was a pretty big deal turned out to be not as not as big of a deal uh with the way their season went but but yeah it's kind of set the tone for uh man we have something here and we like these these new cats and the way they play um and and that was that was great for it to be followed through as well as it was uh in basketball which in my opinion you know sports programs at schools as cohesive as iowa state kind of feed off of each other right to the positive and to the negative. And um, I'm, I'm just so thrilled with the basketball uh, accomplishments. Uh, I actually am a big enough nerd that, well, you probably do too. I watch track. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. 
director, Jamie Pollard, would appreciate that. So um, I, I'm excited about all of it. Yeah, and I, it, it's just been – it seems like this is like a golden age kind of for Iowa State just in general because, you know, the wrestling program's kind of on the way, yep. the way back up. Uh, I mean, what the track and cross-country programs have been able to do, you know, I wish we – it was viable for us to cover more things like that obviously just economically not that many people care you know so uh that makes it tough on our end but what they've been able to do especially those cross-country programs over the last several years is just is outstanding and um, And the the jump in wrestling was great the the jump in wrestling but man i like you even look at the women's tennis team like they they're as good as they've ever been, you know, I think women's soccer is, is getting closer to being, uh, you know, getting closer to being where you would want it to be. Uh, then women's gymnastics has been fantastic as well. I I saw that. I think they finished, uh, at the NCAA semis or something like that. Uh, the regionals, um, a couple weeks ago. So it's just a, it's a good time to be an Iowa state fan, especially if you're one who's going to pay attention to more than just the money sports, you know? right. The Olympic sports with a double Olympic year, um, you know, captured attention, but they're capturing attention for all the right reasons. And that's because uh, I, I, I mean, this, I'm not going to say that the women's sports and the, the Olympic level sports are completely contingent upon the, the quality of your football program. They're not, it's more about attention and uh, gaining space in the consciousness of, of recruits uh, in addition to, I think Jamie's done, or what do we call him, A.D. Pollard. Mm-hmm. His, yeah, Jamie. You can call him Jamie. His, yeah. his majesty um, has done just a, such a great do- job hiring coaches and, and fostering a culture, you know, like Bill Finley always says it, right, the Iowa State way. And we've heard Matt Campbell jump on that that a little bit, and that that's permeating throughout. That's what makes it fun as a fan base. Uh, and as alumni to, uh, to follow your team is, is, is that kind of cohesiveness, which is, um, you know, what I, that's the point I was trying to make. You did it better, um, on, on the success we had in the basketball season in a high profile way. Um, the higher profile sports help feed the lower ones or not the lower profile, not lower sports, but lower profile sports and bring them more into the fore. And that's, that's been Iowa State's just done a very good job of that throughout its entire athletic program, both um, women and men. And they're all. What's the saying? Rising, a rising tide lifts all boats, or what? Isn't that what it is, or something like that? Very good. Yeah. Awesome. And I like. I think you know, just having your programs in the public consciousness is so important. And I think you know, we're seeing that right now for basketball with recruiting you know, the fact that they just were back in the tournament and back in a position where people were talking about them opens the door for them with a lot of people, you know, that they wouldn't have opened the door for last year. And that was after one year of them not being very good, you know? So right. just to, to have that, that, the basketball team back in there at, coming off of the football team, having the years that they have, like it just, when you can keep your name out there and keep people thinking about you longer, like it just, that everybody sees that, you know? if you follow athletics, like you're going to see, and you're going to know who Iowa state is. And if you're a high school kid and someone, someone makes that call to recruit you, whether you're a softball player or a women's soccer player or a, a gymnast or whatever it may be, like you're going to all of a sudden be like, okay, I know that that I state, I know what that means. I've seen them play in the NCAA tournament. I've seen, you know, playing the festival, like whatever it may be. And that's what, that's what I think is just cool is just to see 
Iowa State become someone on the national stage that you have to recognize, you know, you can't just, they can't be ignored. Like they've done enough now. I feel like in all these different sports and, you know, I, I hope that it can continue and you can just keep yourself in that public consciousness 365 days a year, like some schools are out there, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's marketing and branding one oh one, yeah. and you have to have something to market and something to brand. Um, and, and Iowa state's done a great job over the last five to 10 years of, of, like you said, raising those boats, but also the Iowa state way moniker is one, one thing I think is kind of consistent with all of the programs is they're gritty. Mm-hmm. They're, they fight to the last win or lose. Uh, you see them come back. I'll, I'll use, you know, one of the shining examples, David Carr, you know, he had a very disappointing loss there in the NCAA tournament, but he fought back to third, um, which is a hard, hard thing to do, especially when you've had that kind of disappointment and setback along the way. And I think that's indicative of what we've seen. We've seen it in the football team, of course. We saw it, um, you know, even through some tough times in the basketball season. Um, we, we saw them come back and achieve at a level that's probably higher than what anybody ever should have expected out of them. So See, and that's the, great. And that's what I love so much about this basketball team. Like, I think they're TJ will have better teams, I think, at Iowa State from a talent perspective. And there's been, and I've covered better teams. But that one, I think, when I look back at it, you know, even now, like you can kind of, after the season has some finality, you can kind of look at the body of work and think about the team and knowing that you're not going to be able to watch them play anymore. Like, I think that will be one of my favorite teams I covered because there was something like so uniquely Iowa and Iowa State about them. Right. The aspect of being, of feeling really overlooked, you know, nobody really has any expectations for you. And man, I feel like that's something every time someone comes to Iowa that is, has never been here before and you talk to them and they're like, man, there's way more here than I thought there would be, you know, like there's way more going on here than I ever expected. Like that's what this Iowa state basketball team was. It's like, no one had any expectations, but every time you turn them on and watch them, you'd be like, man, there's way more going on here than I thought there would be. And that's what I think, you know, 10 years from now, however, whatever, like TJ could go and do a lot of different things and have all kinds of success and, you know, go deeper into the tournament. But I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look back at this team and be like, man, but there'll never be another one like that one. That was so incredibly maddening. So dude did some things that just drove us absolutely insane. But you know what? Every night they showed up and they put their hard hat on and they brought their lunch bell and they went to work and they did it the dirty way and they didn't ever do it the easy way. But man, they picked themselves up by the bootstraps and got their hands dirty and went to work. And I think that that is what's really cool about it, you know? And that's why I said, that's why I think I said to Chris after the, it must've been after the LSU game that they reminded me of the 2017 football team. That was what that team was a lot like. They didn't have the, they had better talent than everybody every time, but man, you were going to have to come out and out scrap them, you know? And if you didn't out scrap them, they could put a whooping on you. And I think like, I think that's why Iowa state fans are drawn to some teams like this is because it's just like, they can see themselves in the team, you know, sorry, that's kind of a a tangent, but. No, that's, that's, that's perfect. It's kind of what we do. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. That, yeah, you got, we had a team that was endearing this year because it was a terribly poor shooting, shooting team that found other ways to win. And, 
you know, that that's hard to do. Uh, maybe it's easier to do in today's college basketball, but uh, I, I found it fascinating. Guess what I watched today as preparation for what? this? What? 2017 Iowa, Iowa State game. Okay. Yep. So uh, just, just okay. to find fine tune some of my thoughts not that i'm drawing a, a, a parallel between the 2017 season and the, and the one upcoming but there are parallels there and and that game in particular i i pulled out of my 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 data banks in the back of my brain because there were characteristics of it that uh, i think are uh, you know things were emerging we we had a there, there are parallels between the quarterbacks that played in that game and the one that's coming up. There are parallels, not in their personal lives necessarily, but right, right. on the field. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's actually that. funny you say that. Jeff made like the same statement, something about how this – I don't even remember exactly how he put it, but on one of the earlier episodes he said uh, that there were qualities, you know, more or less like there are qualities that Jake, Jacob Park had that, you know, Kyle and Kyle Kempt and then Brock did not have – and that Hunter has that you hope can find this consistency that Jacob Park never did, you know, as far as just being a, I mean, I think as far as just being able to spin the ball, man, like the kid can just, you sit there and watch me, like, man, this kid can really throw the football. And like, I don't know that I ever thought that about Brock, you know, and that's not anything against Brock. It's just like, sometimes you see people do something and you're like, damn dude, like this guy just does it different than other people. That's, that's right. That's, you know, uh, I, I jumped out on a limb back then about Jacob Park having the best arm talent in the Big 12, which he did. He didn't hardly make it to the Big 12 season, but his his arm talent and in particular uh, his focus in, the, in that game early in the season was was really impressive. But but yeah, I draw. It's probably no surprise that Jeff and I kind of draw from the same mm-hmm. same book and view things similarly. But. Um, but there's there's a there's a reason I went to that. I went to that to look more into the. I know we're not going to go into the full minutia here, but as you correctly predicted, I will, I'll steer directly into the ditch. Um, that that the reason I wanted to watch that is I wanted to watch those throws, and in particular, where were the target areas with a guy with that quarter with an arm like Park, which I think Decker's isn't quite what Park was, but it's not far away. He's close. He's got a hose that's similar uh, a hose that I doubted when he came out, but I don't anymore. Um, but, but with that arm strength, what did they do offensively? What could they go back into their bag of tricks and find to make some of the tweaks? I think I'd like to see them make this year. Uh, and that's, that game is the prime example of, of where I thought the offense was very creative, very well suited to the talent and suited to a quarterback with a strong arm. And um, Hunter Deckers brings a little bit more to the table because he's a much better runner than what Park ever was. But they as really, far as – They really worked, he, the, worked the seams in that game, didn't they? If I remember yeah. right. Yeah, that's what yeah, I thought. Because that, that's where you attack Iowa. And yeah. that's how you attack Iowa and find success, a la Purdue, who works all four seams and mm-hmm. works them over every year. Um, but – that's what Iowa State did in that game. They they had this this kind of a bend route um, down into the seam when they'd run it from different perspectives and they were tacking that. They'd use a wheel motion. Uh, you know, Butler caught the two big down the seam uh, 
passes for touchdowns in that game. And, you know, watching Park on the on the 80-yarder basically flick a 50-yard pass without a lot of float on it down the field was like, okay, that's what we've what we've missed a little bit. That's what needs to change in as far as re re-scheming along the vertical plane in the passing game. Uh, that's also the difference between having your primary receiving threats be Hakeem Butler and Alan Lazard and Charlie Kohler and um, any number of guys working underneath. Uh, you bring bring that that back a little bit. But I just wanted to see where those passes went as maybe a preview and just to confirm in my mind that that there's there's plenty of of stuff in the offense and in, in things that they've run in the past to be able to make certain tweaks that fit this personnel and fit this quarterback. Cause I think Deckers is capable of that though, as you correctly said, and a good jumping off point for us, as we look kind of overarching into this, um, we haven't seen a ton of football from him yeah. Yeah. or a lot of the other guys. Right. And that's, I think it's hard to nail it down. Like what the expectation should be for this team, because they have enough pieces coming back that it's hard to like go full, like wholesale, man, I don't think they're going to be very good, you know, but then they have enough pieces, especially at key positions that it's just are so unproven that it's hard to be super bullish about it, you know? And so that's why when I'm asked about it, I kind of end up kind of, I end up in like a weird, like middling gray area where it's like, yeah, I mean, if everything works out, could it go really well? And, you know, you win six, seven, eight, nine games, like if in a best case scenario, for sure. Like, I think so. But man, when have we, unfortunately, how often have we ever gotten the best case scenario uh, for, for us at Iowa State with Iowa State football? So it's like, I, I have a hard time leaning either way, you know, like I'm in very much in like wait and see mode. Uh, with just a lot of aspects of this until I get an opportunity to get eyes on kids and get to see what it really looks like, because it just, I just, I don't even know what the expectation should be for these guys. I think that's completely appropriate and, and reflects my own position is we haven't had a wait and see year in a couple of years and mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to sit here and speculate, but, but also be excited going into the season that, yeah, we are in a wait and see mode. So, so there are two things that, that I really use to kind of set my expectations. And look, I do this. It's an exercise. I think it's fun to talk about on podcasts and to write about um, in the preseason uh, just, just to have a talking point. But I mostly do it for my own personal benefit. Just to, So when I sit down to watch a game, I'm not either uh, in a dour mood because I've got low expectations or in a too high of a mood to um, have those destroyed inevitably. But um, I try to set my own expectation and then that helps me temper my own emotions throughout the season as a fan. I look at two, two real things. Uh, one Bill Connolly uses very heavily in, in his ratings, uh, which I, I lean on to and, and believe, I think it's proved out over time that that returning production is, is a um, flawed, but, but, solid predictor of your future performance. And then the caveat that I would add into that is your developmental um, capacity or or track record, your developmental track record of building certain positions um, and, and how you've done. And an example of that would be like, 
Alabama. Alabama's somewhere in the 70s ranked as with regard to returning production, but nobody really worries about Alabama reloading. Um, Iowa's offensive line, they could reload and start five more guys, and we're going to still have a baseline uh, expectation that they're going to be pretty good. Um, You know, a team like Kansas, (laughs) replacements are good. (laughs) Right, right. New people pop in there, but but there are certain places that have good. And I think Iowa State has started to, to develop some expectations in that development track record. Uh, I think I think it's reasonable to expect that there's going to be a really good running back room. May take them a minute to figure out who or how that looks, but but I think the track record has proven that. I think um, I think the defensive line has been okay. good. Has, plug new people in, even though there've been some stalwarts uh, and linebacker are really good. There's a good developmental track record uh, in those areas. Now that said, there's some questionable ones too. Uh, We'll see about quarterback though. They've used a lot of different quarterbacks over the tenure, uh, the Campbell tenure, but uh, you know, offensive line is something we'll, we'll talk about as we, as we go on, but, but I'm not sure that they've achieved, um, a great developmental track record um, in, in that position and secondary's a bit fluid and kind of has hit or miss up or down that leave you kind of in that, what you said, that gray area. Yeah. I do think that there are guys that come back at some positions that like, they make me feel a little bit, a little bit better about it. Like I think the secondary is a good example. When you bring back Anthony Johnson and then you've got, you know, you're going to be green there with some young guys that you know are, are going to be learning, you know, uh, whether that's, you know, even Craig McDonald and Bo, Bo Freiler played a lot of football for Iowa State down the stretch last year. Like there's a difference between being the young guy coming into your own late in the year and being the guy that goes into the year as the guy, you know. So it's like seeing how those guys grow. And then you've got those two cornerback spots where now you're obviously going to have to fill – not just one, but both of them with Anthony moving to safety. You've got a bunch of dudes there that you like know have tools and you know have the intangibles to be good players. And we've seen them have flashes of being good players at times, but it's like, now it's not, we need flashes from you. It's like, no, you got to be the guy. Like we need someone to take control of that position, you know, and you just, you just never know how people are going to handle those things. Like that, that's part of college athletics, you know, and like, I think there's pieces. I really like what TJ Tampa and Tavon Kyle have done at times for Iowa State. But then I look at it, too. I really like what Miles Purchase did last year at, at times last year for them. Uh, he's in a similar position to, I think, McDonald and Freiler. And then, uh, you know, and then Darian Porter has tantalizing intangibles with the speed and the length that I think is going to be really intriguing. But I, I think that's a perfect example of what you're talking about and, like, what this team is where it's like, we know there's this one guy that can kind of be the leader of the group, but how fast can all those other guys come along is what's going to be the question, you know? Right. And, and which one and mm-hmm. when do they emerge right. is, is, is a big question too, as we've, we've seen that happen um, throughout a season. Yeah. So when I look at this team, I was, I was thinking about this significantly over the last day. So they're, it's no secret they lost tons of production. They're 127th out of 131 in returning production. So that would pretend to push your expectations down. However, I started going through it and I was like, okay, well, where are we 
where is Iowa State really new? I would say they're really new at quarterback because we have some spot work. We've seen a little bit from him, but he's never been the man like you're talking about. Does he step up? Is he the guy that's going to step up? And if there's a backup, is there a backup that steps up? Like when Brock took over. Um, I think the runners, even though we've seen Jarrell Brock for a number of years in limited capacity and certainly on special teams and things of that nature, um, they're all brand new. We've, we've watched them run a little bit, but your, your backfield battery is brand new with the exception of Jared Russ, who's, I think, a really key component to this year's team. Uh, the tight ends are going to be completely new, right? There's been no room on the field for tight ends for three years. Mm -hmm. And outside of Russ, you're, we're going to get introduced to what the capabilities of the guys that end up emerging uh, at that position are. And that's really where where if you're going to take the negative side of the lack of production, that's, that's where I think it could be uh, most glaring because we got so much out of those tight ends, not just in the passing game and in the red zone, but also – probably most importantly in in support of the offensive line and blocking and helping to clean up some of the deficiencies in the offensive line. But then when I jump over on defense or, or think about wide receiver, I mean, yeah, we got Noel and Hutchinson, your two kind of main cogs back, and you've got a good handful of guys who caught some passes and done some things. So it shouldn't be, you know, like a Shaw uh, would be another one I'd throw in there. He's got good, good experience there should be somebody to emerge there and it shouldn't be that big of a surprise or a leap. We're going to know the name. We're going to know the person uh, have seen them before. And on defense, it's, it's like what you said with the secondary, you've got some healthy experience. You've got some snaps uh, in the new positions, but I don't know that I feel really confident that miles purchase is a one for one trade out with Anthony Johnson at corner. Right. Or that um, Blake Peterson or whoever emerges on the end is a one for one um, trade out with Zach Peterson. And in fairness uh, to those guys, too, like it would be hard to expect anybody to be that, you know, like. Right. But that's that's what teams that elevate do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I, I know from the coach. We'll talk a little bit later about just kind of the disconnect between the fan media perspective and the, and the coaches perspective in the room. Um, but, but that's, that's what the coaches are, are trying to do and adapt is I have more experience guys, more snaps underneath my, underneath their belts, uh, to take into those places that have better athleticism or features that, that work really well in, in our defensive scheme or offensive scheme and can elevate the play at that position, whether they have, you know, returning production or not, um, that they're able to elevate. So, um, when I kind of meshed through the who's really new, who's not, who we really not know about, who do we kind of know about, and is there any upside in there? Unfortunately, I was still kind of in a gray area. <laughs> um, and, it, and it depends. I've got some notes here on, on kind of what are the things that I think the, the, the if-thens uh, – that, that we can look at and talk about, but, but it put me in a real, it's, it's a real dilemma with this team as, as a fan media perspective of 
how do you gauge where they're going to be? You know, they're going to play tough. You know, they're going to play with grit. You don't want it to be the case, but you probably feel like they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. Some with turnovers and penalties, mm -hmm. uh, kicking game is, can be really solid or really wheels off. Uh, we're not totally sure about that from year to year. Uh, and what that's going to amount to is a bunch of pretty close games. They're not going to get blown out. They're not going to blow anybody out. And that puts you, uh, in the margin, so to speak, as coaches talked about, uh, on how many wins or losses, um, I would say just based on production, if we're looking at production and developmental track record, I think this trends more towards your middle area, like a solid mid to lower mid tier team in the big 12. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, to uh, being a middle to lower tier, like, or upper middle, middle tier, like that still gets you into a bowl game for the fifth consecutive year, which Iowa State's right. never done. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you can look at this. It's like a bridge year, you know, good, of, good. Yes. Yeah. Of where you kind of got that last group of guys who were part of the last run working their way through and you want to give them the best way to go out that you possibly can, but it's also setting you up for hopefully your next really good run, you know? And that's like, that's kind of what I look at it as much as anything. It's the, this is like the, uh, the, the middle movie in like a trilogy of, uh, of movies where nothing really gets resolved. It probably presents more questions than it answers, but it just moves the story forward. Like that's, kind of how I'm looking at it where it's like it you got to have a reset with some of these guys that you're losing you know and you just have to have people step up and a lot of the guys that are going to step up are guys aren't guys that are going to be seniors you know it's like guys that are going to be sophomores that can have time to grow into those positions and obviously you want them to have come in and have success right away I'm not saying that but it's like they're going to grow into it and then you know then you can move forward and have fewer unanswered questions next spring does that make sense Absolutely. And, you know, there, there's part of this discussion that I think doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's because coaches don't really want to talk about it either. But, um, but sometimes just because a guy was really, really good for you. Um, well, let's just use the, the quarterback. Let's use Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy was really good. Record setting quarterback. Hunter Deckers may not touch his records, right? Or any quarterback. In the, in the foreseeable future uh, was very, very good. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, that somebody else coming in to replace them can't be just as good, but maybe in just a little bit different way mm -hmm. and expand upon and allow the team to become more dangerous just because we lost that guy and lost that production. That's kind of the, the fallacy in using that as a, as a predictor. Um now there there are a lot of contingencies, but I feel like this is total gut gut feeling. It's not based on any knowledge. Uh, it's wild speculation, as I say most of my opinions are. My wild speculation is I feel like the staff uh, at Iowa State believes that they've not solved the puzzle yet, but that they have moved significantly up the board for expectations based on the overall talent that they've brought in on the roster so that when guys are aging out, those guys have paved the way, but they're a stepping stone to the next level, whatever, however that's defined. 
by the staff, whether it be wins or competitiveness or bowl game appearance, however they do it, whatever metric you want to use. I think they feel like they have elevated when they got there. Iowa State was at 9-10 for overall talent on the roster and that they've moved up to where they're in the upper upper half of the Big 12 where you're only looking at Oklahoma, Texas, maybe TCU, Baylor-ish, Oklahoma State kind of, where they're competitive in that area with the overall talent on the roster. Therefore, when you have a major change out, it shouldn't result in any sort of downward slide or even a reset. In fact, I think from a coaching perspective, you'd say we're, we're, you know, we're not resetting. We're just, wait, this is too commonly used, but reloading, Mm -hmm. so to speak, because we're going to plug in kids with um, a higher upside than the ones that just left. And that's, that's the wait and see, right? Right. I kind of believe that about some of our guys, but, um, but I don't know yet. Yeah. And none of us do. And that's, that's where I think the, the entire baseline of this conversation has to start is like, we just don't have a lot of answers, you know, like I, because we just, no one knows until we see them and, and we're not in practice every day to be able to give you a really good definitive answer. You know, like it, there are some is, things we say that we could be complete. We could be wildly incorrect about, you know, like I, I'm fully expecting us to be wildly incorrect about some things, but there are some that I think, you know, we can kind of nail just based off of what we know about kids from before, you know? Right. And that, and that's really what we have to use the history to inform the present, but um, you know, we're not in practice. We don't necessarily have the most learned eyes on talent evaluation. We don't have necessarily, we don't have knowledge of the schemes uh, internally even somebody who can sit down and watch film and pick out the exact coverage and make the call and talk about the different rules that they're supposed to use and stuff like that still doesn't know what that play call was and how that was taught. And in order to be able to um, make fully accurate determinations on that stuff, and I'm not sure all coaches do either. Um, but yeah, we have no idea about quarter, quarterback decision-making. We don't know what Hunter Deckers is going to be like when it's in the fourth quarter and we need a drive to tie the game. Uh, we don't know his interception tendencies. I mean, we've seen him throw some. We've seen him make some great passes and avoid them as well. Uh, but we don't know what that quarterback decision-making is going to be until we watch that first full game. Uh, we have a pretty good idea that the off- offensive line will be inconsistent. <laughs> yeah. But they're inconsistent in a strange way. They're, it's not inconsistent just because they're mediocrely talented. Uh, they're mediocre because of mistakes, because they make mistakes in technique or they make mistakes in penalties or they, they miss something or, or for some reason or another will get road graded uh, by a defensive line. And they become inconsistent because putting all five of them working together, five, five mediocre guys working together, uh, incongruence on the offensive line can result in gaps that spring talented runners, i.e. David Montgomery in 2017. Okay. Um, but inconsistent guys can cause a guy's talented at Brees Hall to get shut down. Now that didn't happen. I offer that a lot of that's because of the way that, that they used the tight ends that were able to support them and create additional second level blocks that, that moved him 
uh, pass those deficiencies, but that's another one of the questions. Can the tight ends we have now support the offensive line in the same way? And will uh, the defensive line and linebacker core, the front of the defense, will they continue to be dynamic? They've been dynamic for five years now. Like we've had dynamic players and plays made in that front seven. Uh, the biggest cog to that is Will McDonald, who's, I think, an absolute all-star. Um, and he can be dynamic, but he can have that taken away from him pretty quick if the other guys don't hold up their end of the bargain. Or if and he's then, held, if he's held, which he often is. Well, and, and you know, but even with all the holding, he's still been dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> so, you said held, you said holding. So I was like, yeah, well, he usually is being held. So yeah. it's, it's pretty and fair I, to assume that will happen. Couldn't agree with that more. Um, and, and, and then as always, you know, will the scheme support the new skills? Yeah. Uh, they just going to run the same thing and expect different guys to do the exact same things. Or are they going to adjust on the fly to the skill sets that they've got now? They've shown a tendency to do that. I don't think they're a hundred percent in that area. I think they've, they've struggled to find their way to it at times, but, uh, I think they generally come in, um, with a plan, to use things. And then, then they've been what they, what the staff is really, really good at is they're okay with scrapping something they thought was going to work and move to something that works a little bit better. I mean, we saw that with the shift in the defense. We see that in the way they play the defense now, as opposed to when they started it, we've, we saw seen that with the uh, running backs and the style of running and um, different styles of blocking. We've seen them use blitzes a lot and then back off and not use them as much. We've, we've, we've watched them do that. They're really good at not having a lot of pride as they go through the season and finding out and finding something that works. Um, but I also think they could, there's room for improvement and picking those things out before you get four games deep. Right. So. The tight ends one, I think is the one that, and Jeff and I talked about this a lot on the, the one where we dove into the offense. I think that that position and then coupled with what they do for the offensive line, like that, a lot of this hinges on that because I, I think that what, what they were able to do with those tight ends the last two years specifically is a lot of what created the mismatches and the leverage that they could get in the run game and in the pass game. When you don't have that, like, what do you, what do you do? You know, if they, if they try and run that same offense, I think they'd be fooling themselves. Like you're, you're playing yourself. At that point, I, I just have a hard time thinking that Easton Dean and Deshaun Hanika and Tyler Moore can step in and be as good as those guys were. I think Jared Russ is awesome, but it's just like, man, that's a tall task to ask three guys who haven't had to do it before to like be those guys, you know? So I would like to think that they would not even try to do anything like that. But at the, at the same time, we don't, again, we don't know until we see it. Like they have to do something pretty drastically different because those guys were so unique with, Charlie and Chase and, you know, Dylan in 2020 and then having Jared last year. Right. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll avoid going off on a, on a bunch of scheme discussions. Um, no, I, you, you do your thing, man. Do your thing. No, it, I'm not going to well, hold you back. I want to, cause I, I don't think that that's the, uh, I don't think me sitting here thinking I know best mm -hmm. um, is, you know, truthful or honest, it may be entertaining, but, but not, uh, you know, intellectually honest moving forward. But 
I, I think about it, and I, I'm glad you and you and Jeff talked about the 2017 year. I point, I always go back to the last four games of 2016, which was the most efficient running until um, the Brees Hall era, the most efficient running that the Iowa State had done, and they had arguably far less talent on the offensive line, but they used um, lead blockers, in particular Sam Seenbuckner, who I believe is is he back as a grad assistant. Yes, I do think so. Grad assistant yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He's a grad assistant either somewhere else or back with us. But um, the, he kind of came into his own and, um, you know, the, the Joel Landing running game, right, where we overload one side, we go student body left and give it to him and let him bust up the middle. Sam is a, is a grad assistant for the offense, just to, okay. to clarify that for everybody. So, yep. Which I think is great. Um, and and so so Roos gives us a chance or or looks similar to and Decker's size and running prowess makes it look like that type of running offense could be effective. Now that's very different than the one we saw the last two years uh, with the use of the tight ends and the way they use formations. I think the way the last two years is what what the coaching staff prefers. And the other was just a, can we find anything that works in 2016? And they did. Um, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a middle ground there schematically that can be used effectively, but you are pivoting from putting two tight ends uh, in an unbalanced setting and working up to the second level early uh, and letting your running back beat a first level defender and get to the third level because the second level is blocked. You're, you're pivoting away from that that concept to more of a lead, quick-hitting, lead-back blocking concept, which also can be very effective. And I think Brock is probably – that's probably his running style. And um, Silas, that's – he could be very effective in that with as quick as he is and as fast as he runs. I haven't seen as much of Sanders, I think, as the other guy um, – I haven't seen as much of him, but I, my impression of him is he's a kind of a crossbreed between those two power, pure power back and, and uh, pure speed back. Uh, but we also remember before Brees took control of the reins, there were three or four weeks there at the beginning where we didn't know who the running back was going to be. And the running game looked awful mm -hmm. uh, because of it. So there's a little bit of history on the good and a little bit of history on the bad. Um, but I think that how they make that shift, what they determine to do with the new tight ends, um, whether they continue to try to put them in a position to block in unbalanced settings, whether they're more move blockers, it may be that one or both of those guys, you know, a Hanika may be a really good move blocker, just like Jared Russ. And now I've got two lead blockers, two fullbacks, basically, with some pass catching skills that that increases my ability to run a play action game, a true play action game versus an RPO game, um, and a and a lead running game that could be really effective because it's different. The advantage we've had is size. The advantage we've had is size because the defenses have all copied Iowa State's and moved to smaller, lighter uh, front positions with more safeties on the field. So they're faster, but they're susceptible to getting bullied uh, by size. 
And I've long thought, though I'll probably end up being wrong, that um, that foot, certain teams trying to make their way up the up the ladder in college football will realize that and work their offense into a position to play some bully ball. And I wonder if Iowa State, that's the way they recruit their offensive line, right? P.J. Fleck and Matt Campbell are twins and the type of offensive linemen they they get, which, you know, 6'7", 330 is pretty standard. That's what they want, you know, and there's about five of those humans in the, in the world. Right. But, uh, but that's what they want versus, uh, you know, the 6'4 or under dude with really good feet. They've got a little bit of both, but they, they prefer that road grader style guy who's uh, just going to push and move people out of the way. And it's just um, huge. Yeah, it's a huge it, guy. And the, and the tight ends were that way too, right? Right. You stand next to Dylan Sainer or Chase Allen and and Charlie, and you felt very, very small. I mean, it, uh, it, and I know this to be a fact because Coach Campbell and I have talked about it. He loves basketball players. And I think if you look at their roster, you can cl- pretty clearly tell that, you know. Which, which is awesome, and especially from a blocking perspective. In my day-to-day life, uh, I, I talk to kids very often about the cross pollination of skills and why if you're a basketball player, you should play football. And if you're a football player, you should play basketball because they're not incongruent, even though they seem like incongruent, congruent games, they're congruent, especially in the blocking scheme and especially a tight end who's, who's the perfect hybrid in both uh, because blocks are made with hands and feet not just bulk and, and, and bodies. And it's like setting a screen. And obviously in football, you can set a moving screen, which is great. That's a perfect block. Uh, but it's the same type of movement. And so, yes, having basketball players on your football team with that size that are used to moving laterally, to moving in a small space, to adjusting leverage to get position is an exactly parallel skill between those two sports. And Iowa State does a pretty good job. Um, in fact, I'd say part of their their success over the last few few years uh, has has been because of of those type of uh, congruent skills. Okay, so of all those what ifs, that was, that you... that was off my outline, by the way. No, no, you're good, dude. I I, I sent you there, so don't don't worry. Uh, if all of those things that we talked about the the different what ifs, if they win Iowa State's favor what what do you think the baseline for this team becomes then at that point good question um i think the floor based on track record and returning production is four to five wins i think that's the floor i think they get that just by being who they are and with with the talent and that's if if nothing nothing the none of the if thens come true so the if thens i have are is the quarterback is so if the quarterback is a solid decision maker, if the scheme adjusts along a vertical plane, if the front defensive front remains dynamic, and if the O line improves consistency, then I think that pushes Iowa State up to an upper tier contender with a seven to nine win expectation, which is an exciting year and a good year, I think, especially in a quote unquote reset year. Now, None of those, if none of those things happen, then I, yeah, I think your floor is still four to five. Um, some improvement along those ifs, I think, puts you where you're talking about, which is your six and six bowl team 
reset year. We still go to a bowl game. Okay. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if, if the, if the then, uh, occurs on any of those, those four things, um, I think that pushes them into that really hard to beat team category. Yeah. Even amongst the, uh, even against the upper tier teams that they'll play. Yeah. And I think it's, it'll be an interesting year in the league too. Um, obviously, you know, we talk all this stuff about Iowa state, like the other teams in the league matter still too. Um, (laughs) they're obviously Oklahoma is the one that it's like, who knows? Like they're one, they're one. It's just like, we don't know. They're going to be talented because they're Oklahoma, but Venables is going to be a first time head coach. You know, there will probably be some growing pain there. I would imagine. Uh, I can't think of many times that there has not been some with first with, uh, with new head coaches. Uh, Texas is like, remains a cesspool based on Have you seen any of the stuff that's been happening this week with them? Uh, uh what? Oh man. I, so, well, I, I got off the team. Yeah. The guy that got kicked off the team. Did you see what he said in the media? No. Oh, well, what he said, what he did was he went and spoke the truth uh, and talked about how there's too many guys that want to go hang out on sixth street and not enough of them that want to get in, get in the facility and work basically uh, is what it boiled down to. And he was the problem in Austin. Yeah. Basically he said, basically the kid told the truth and said what the program's problem has been for however many years. And he's the one who's in trouble for it. And like, should he have said it in the media? I don't know. Probably not, you know, but like he also came out and is now being portrayed as the problem when I think he's just trying to bring light to the problem more than anything else. And I find it hard to believe that someone like that would come out and just say something in the media if nothing had been discussed privately prior to that, you know? So it's just clearly that is still a dysfunctional situation uh, is what I was trying to get to but i think you know what you're going to get from baylor you know what you're going to get from oklahoma state at this point but then like other than that i think a lot of things are up in the air you know like there's a lot of ways that things could go yep new new coaches at tcu and tech both teams have enough talent to be real problems but uh and both coaches are good enough to to turn them around very quickly but again like iowa state you need you need to see it same with oklahoma kansas state not sure they know what they're doing at this point. Um, we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I think Kansas is probably on an upward, upward tra- trajectory, but they just have so far to go um, that really Texas is the only team they can beat. Um, West Virginia, we talked about, they, they seem to survive massive defections each year via the transfer portal. I think Neil Brown's a really good coach. Um schematically but um you you just don't know what you're going to get necessarily week week to week uh from those guys but it's that said it's a tough league i mean talent wise tcu baylor oklahoma state oklahoma texas i mean that that's that's half your league are really nicely talented teams at all all positions should be a fun one, man. I think it's going to be a lot of fun just to keep breaking down this thing like over the next several months because there's just so many pieces of the puzzle that are that have to be put together. And it's like it's a fun mental exercise, you know, like just to sit and think about like what the possibilities are. 
yeah, I'm, I'm more enthused about this year than I, I have been. Um, I mean, I was enthusiastic before, but, but this year really fires me up because I think this is such a, it's not a, don't, don't misunderstand. It's not a prove it type year for Campbell. It's a very intriguing transitional year for him to see how, um, like you said uh, earlier, just to reference, um, you know, your concept that you're, your reset versus reload and um, that that kind of middle years of a three-year plan or three-tier plan, the middle tier, to see how that gets handled and, um, and, and moves forward and to actually see the, the fruit of what we perceive to be very strong recruiting classes and recruiting efforts over the last two and three years. Um, I really can't think of a more exciting scenario to be a fan of a, or a close fan of a team is to, to actually see that now. Could it come with heartache? Yes, it could. Um, it often does. There's only one team that can rose then that can be the best at the end of the year that ends the year truly happy as a national right. champion, you know, right. But I, more often than not, I talk about last year being maybe disappointing because it was a, you know, nearly 500 year with a lot of returning production. Yeah. Which also kind of disproves the production theory offered earlier. But, um, but I, I mean, there's so many variables that go into it. You're right. This year provides so many different options and intriguing players that I'm very excited to watch. I'm very excited to see on the field because my, my cyclone radar says, these guys are a little bit better than what we've seen in the past, uh, bring a little bit different skill set that I think is uh, compatible with um, being effective against the other teams. The other thing I want to see, I think is really intriguing and will be really intriguing to watch is the efficiency. We had a coaching staff that came in and preached and talked about efficiency. The whole winning in the margin things is all about efficiency from a single block to a single play to a single set of coverage, just being efficient in the margins. And we've seen a team that struggled in that area um, from time to time and in big games in particular. And I want to see if that ship gets righted a little bit, but mostly on a whole overarching thing, big expectations didn't quite meet them. Big expectations didn't quite meet them. Now they're back to being the hunter instead of being the hunted. Now the, co the coaching staff has the leverage of talking about us being underrated, mm -hmm. talking about, you know, cyclones versus the world, like the T-shirt says, right? That's what they and, – and, and I think that this staff in particular thrives under those circumstances. And the teams and the character, the, the kids that they bring in, thrive under those circumstances and so higher or higher um, tier more respected kids with a hungry attitude generally leads to pretty good success in football yeah so we'll see i'm right there with you brother well i appreciate you taking the time to do this i love you man i'm i'm glad to have an opportunity to to get you back on here and um, we're gonna have to get you and Jeff together so that, uh, I can take a nap sometime, uh, since you guys will do all the talking and I just have to, I have to turn it off and turn it or turn it on at the beginning and turn it back off at the end. 
I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. I hope throughout the summer, kind of like last year, we're able to reconnect them, talk about the rest of the league and some other stuffs uh, heading up into the season. And then I get pretty busy uh, during the season itself. But uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pumped. Call me anytime. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, so. sounds good. All right, we'll talk to everybody again soon. Thanks again to A-Plus Lawn and Landscape. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys again soon here on Football and Random Things. Peace.